0: Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. Thanks, guys. You're very sweet. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Mike, for saving me from that microphone. I was going to go all diva and just like, how dare you put this on my stage just throw it <laughs> That would have been fun. <laughs> oh, how's everyone doing today? Good, good, awesome, cool. Well, I got a, I got a couple of different things I want to try to touch on today, and hopefully hopefully it uh, comes through clearly enough. But um, before, I wanted to share just a moment about some stuff that I saw during uh, worship today. If that's okay with you guys, cool. Uh, moderate interest? Okay, that works. Um, for those of you who have not been around for very long, uh, you, you may not know this part, uh, which is uh, a, b- a big part of my personal testimony, is that since I was a, a little kid, I've uh, seen in the Spirit. And so I've uh, seen angels, demons, and other spiritual things, uh, not so differently from the way that I'm seeing you right now. And so, one, uh, this doesn't really have much to do with my message, but I just saw this uh, today during worship, and I just, I don't know, I just liked it. Um, as, as we were... Um, worshiping these these angels were doing this uh, uh, big like leaping kind of dance sort of thing. They were running up to the front and then jumping, jumping up and running up to the front and jumping up and they were dragging this great big, uh, these uh, three great big kind of billowing sort of uh, sheets, I guess, like these big pieces of cloth. And almost like that game you play when you're a kid, like the don't let the balloon touch the ground sort of thing, you know, you have to run and poof, poof, you know, and then you're looking at the balloon and you run into the cabinet and bust your lip, you know. Um <laughs> that game. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh yeah, now I remember. Um the, uh they were and they were keeping this big uh kind of cloth up and as we as we were going into worship, I saw all of these just little, um, for lack of a better term, like just particles of things coming coming out of uh, like uh, skin, mouth. All these little tiny particles, and they were all different colors. Some were green, blue, red. So all these different colors, and they were like getting caught in these uh, cloths that were up there. And it was almost uh, as it kind of kept going. There was almost like this uh, um, like hot air balloon effect, where all these little little particles were all kind of stuck up here. And as we um started getting into the the last song, all these particles condense together, kind of the way that rain condenses back down together. but instead of condensing into rain, it condensed into food, um, which water usually doesn't uh, condense into. Um, and uh, and it rained back down, and I saw that it's, rather than just like eating the food, as this food landed on on everyone, it like absorbed back into into, into our, our skin, and it was interesting because every single person as I looked around and saw this stuff, uh, this food raining down, like they, you, when I looked at each of you as it was happening, like you looked brighter, your eyes looked brighter, I saw you being drawn deeper, deeper into worship, and th- this last, it was more a part that I felt than, than saw exactly, but I, I could, it, have you ever like done anything like uh, yeah, super athletic before? I've done like twice, um, and <laughs> And those two times um do you remember <laughs> my wife talked me into doing this uh, spartan race uh which is um uh, a, a, another word for suffering uh uh suffering needlessly i think is the <laughs> uh term and uh while i enjoyed parts of it like the part where you get to climb on monkey bars i didn't like all the other parts which were the running and the exercising and uh, the suffering. Um, however, the best part of that was the first meal that you have after doing this whole thing, because it's like, you know, as a person who maybe doesn't always do the most athletic things, uh, y- when you do, your body needs those nutrients, and it just absorbs them, and you can feel them, like, going into your, your essence almost, you know? You ever had that feeling before? Yeah. So that was the feeling when I saw these nutrients being absorbed into, into you guys. And I, I had a, another layer of revelation of something that we all know, which is, man, if, if you are a son or a daughter of Christ, you need to worship. Like, it is, it, is a, it is a need like water. It is a need like breathing, like sleeping. It is in that same category. And... I don't know. It just it was impressed upon me again. Something that I already knew that we all know, but just realizing how essential this corporate gathering of worship is. Like again, not not that 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 reduces a, uh, the necessity of worshiping at home or that that is worse or anything like that. It's just that simple reality of like, oh, this this kind of nutrient is only available when we come together and worship together. And I I could just uh, feel feel a sense of that really strongly in the in the room today, and it, it felt felt great. It was like a delicious sandwich after a uh, needless suffering uh, race. <laughs> anyway, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about today is uh, the Sermon on the Mount. Um, so if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 5, um, you know, this is, uh, there's a lot of uh, meaty parts of scripture, but this is definitely one that is is uh, rich with nutrient. and um, it's you know some people have kind of called this the the constitution of christianity or 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 you know jesus's uh core values um you know i think those are those are fair fair uh, illustrations but you know uh jesus lays out so much that's important so much that's foundational so much that's uh structural about about uh what we do and what, what it means to follow him and you know i I'd like to, so, so I, I grew up in church. How many of you grew up in church to some degree or another? Cool, 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 awesome. Uh, the majority of you, I would say. Uh, how many of you did not grow up in church? Cool, awesome. Some, some of you guys not? Some of you didn't raise your hands for either? I would love to hear where you grew up. <laughs> What's the third option? Yes. Um, <laughs> a lot of jokes came to mind. I'm not going to say them. Uh, the... <laughs> the um, a lot of times when you grow up in church you can learn something that is true in a way that is um that is true and is good but sometimes the way that it absorbs into our life it becomes kind of a default or a the, the understanding that we have of it is just becomes default and it loses its edge it loses its meaning it loses its life um a, a good a good example of this is like Hey, I'm married to this wonderful lady here named April, and yes, thank you. Yes, uh, and <laughs> that is true. Um, the, and I say I love you to her just about every day. Uh, uh, multiple times, in fact. I, I am the father to this wonderful young man here named Hayden, uh, whom, whom I also say that I love just about every day. But if I just say "love you, buddy," "love you," "love you," "love you," April, "love you," it's it, it can very easily become a a word that suddenly has no meaning, just a, a platitude of of our rhythm of conversation, rather than an actual statement. And and keeping that more than just a platitude takes intention, takes sharpening, takes honing, takes refamiliarizing, familiarizing takes uh, sometimes shaking it out of that, that place that I had set it in my mind and looking at it again. Does that does that make sense? So that's something that I like to do because uh, as a person who grew up in church, I have a lot of things that are uh, powerful truths that have become something that I just kind of think about as a platitude as I'm saying goodbye to someone or when I run into someone who's going through a hard time, you can just kind of throw out a platitude that doesn't have any weight behind it, which is a bummer because these things have tremendous weight behind them. Does that make sense? So a lot of preamble to get into that. So uh, Sermon on the Mount, um, the first chunk here, verse 1 to about 11 or so, is, you know, the Beatitudes, be this, be that, blessed is this, blessed is that. These are great um, to read through slowly and, and really take them in rather than, again, just characteristics we're supposed to have, but understanding how the ecosystem of the kingdom works, you know? It's like this is stuff that grows well. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, being poor in spirit attracts this aspect of heaven. Does that does that make sense? And so again, I want to stop and just talk about all these, but that's that's not what we're gonna be focused on today. But this is a good place to to walk um, through uh, the, the next handful of verses, about 13 to 20. Um, kind of goes into, hey, here's, here's what I'm doing. I'm not abolishing the law and the prophets. I'm not just erasing what was before. I am fulfilling it, I'm, I'm completing it. So this isn't, hey, that was all wrong, and this is right. This is, this is um, me making clear what was being said there. This is me bringing to completion, to, to wholeness, what was being stated before. And right after that, he goes into doing that very thing. And this is the area that I that I want to go on. This is one I bring up a lot if you've, if you've been around here because it's it's one that has always fascinated me. Um, so he has this series of things that he talks about here. It uh, starts in verse 21. It says, you've heard that the ancients were told. Uh, I'm reading out of the NASB, um, just FYI. Uh, BRB, LOL. Um <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, the, um, you have heard that the ancients were told uh, you shall not murder and whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be answerable to the court and whoever says to his brother you good for nothing shall be answerable to the supreme court and whoever says you fool shall be guilty enough to go into the fiery hell It's um, a great comforting phrase um and so, so okay, this is what you had heard, this is what you had been said, no, but this is what I'm saying, a, a higher standard, an internal standard, a, a, it's not just about what you do, it's about how, how you think. Um, let's just jump down a little bit further, we got um, verse 27, uh, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with, uh, with her in his heart. So again, this this idea of like, okay, it's not just what you do, it is how you think, it is how you operate on the inside. Um, uh, These next couple are the the ones I wanna kind of focus in on today, but let's just read through them for a second. Verse uh, verse 38, um, you have heard that it was said, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I say to you, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. We hear that one a lot, yeah? (laughs) You heard that one, turn the other cheek? You know, we just kind of throw that uh, phrase out there. But again, you've heard it said, eye for an eye. Like, do unto others as you, uh, you know, as, as they've done unto you would be the, another way of saying this, this kind of thing. Um, and again, he's raising the standard of, no, 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 I, I, that is not the attitude. That is not the internal place that I want you to be. And again, he goes so far as to say, do not show opposition against an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other toward him also. Last one for, for right now, well, the last couple, uh, verse 43, um, you have heard that it was said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may prove yourselves to be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he causes his son, uh, S-U-N, uh, to rise in the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So again, we have this thing that happens of of raising the standard is kind of what it feels like. Now, I've talked about this before, but it's it's where we're going to explore here for a second. Um, Most of us who grew up in church have learned to engage, especially with the items here on the, the Sermon of the Mount, from a character perspective. And by character perspective, it means you are supposed to be this way which means you have to try as hard as possible to be this way. Would, that, would you say it's maybe a fair way that you've engaged with this in your mind in, in, in the past? Yeah. So that's great, except it's the opposite of the gospel. Because <laughs> it was not, Jesus came to tell you, tell you what you should do so that you would do what he said he would do, because you're capable of doing what he said. Because just in case you think you might be able to accomplish this stuff, he throws a nice verse on the end that just really sets that standard a little bit higher than all these other things, verse 48, which is, therefore you shall be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. <laughs> so if you think you could do any of those other things or half of those things, that last one might catch you. <laughs> um, now, again, we can—we don't have time to get all around this whole circle, but we can flash forward to where Paul later is talking about grace and he's talking about, like, hey, this doesn't mean just don't try at all and just do whatever you want and everything's fine and it's all just covered under the blood. No, he, it's, it's not just saying that. It's not saying because you can't do this, therefore you should not try at all. It's saying that we have to recognize that we cannot do these things on our own. And again, if we... What well, what I find tends to happen is if we have a pure character and performance mindset with regard to these things, what usually happens is we lie to ourselves because there's some strong language here of like, "Oh man, if I say you fool, I'd deserve to be thrown into the fiery hell, you know, uh if I even have anger, I should go in front of the court, you know." Uh, So, because it is actually impossible for us to control ourselves well enough to never make any of these errors, we then internally lie to ourselves and say, I'm not mad at them. I've forgiven them. And maybe you have. But man, you know sometimes you haven't. (laughs) Right? And and maybe you're not mad, and maybe they did that thing and it didn't bother you that much. That is possible, that does happen. But you know that's not true every time, right? It's just not the truth, right? And he has raised the standard of truth so high that actually what crosses my mind You know, and I've heard preachers, and I don't think this is bad teaching, but I think it's incomplete. They say, oh, you know, uh, 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 it was um, Martin Luther, I believe, who said, uh, you know, you can't keep a bird from landing on your head, but you can keep it from building a nest. You know, it's this idea of like, okay, that thought could cross my mind. I could have the emotion of anger. I'm not in control of that, but I can control if I stew on it and brew on it and let that grow to bitterness. And sure, (laughs) but can you really? You know, have you ever tried not to be mad at someone that you're mad at that, that's hurt you? <laughs> it's a great way to heat like, up. You know, it's a pressure, you're creating a pressure cooker in your brain of, you know, you just, it just keeps running through your mind again and again and again, right? I, this happens to me. If I'm the only one, you can let me know, but, uh, and I will go repent. Um, apparently, that's where you repent over there. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, so. So we know, and I think this is something we all know, you, you cannot do this on your own. You cannot do the gospel on your own. You have to receive grace from God to enable you to, to do these things. It is impossible without him. It is impossible. Now, we, we, we were saying yay, we we're saying yes, we we're saying agree, but what does that mean and how does that work and then what do I do if I'm not able to do anything, <laughs> Right? Well, and, you know, okay, uh, then, so what I would kind of get to in this space that we're at is, okay, I can't do it on my own, but then, you know, Paul and all my pastors and teachers say that doesn't mean just don't try at all, but does that mean that I I just um, try harder, you know, try as hard as I can, and then grace just kind of makes up the difference, and that's that, you know? Well, maybe, but then that just means I still—it's still about me doing my best effort, and how much is enough effort, and how good of an effort is enough to do it. And you kind of get in this weird space again, you know. And so, I, I, I want to share a little bit of about a personal journey that I've had with with one specific area in here, because we, we got here a, a theme that's actually throughout Scripture. There's there's probably fifteen or twenty really strong scriptures about loving your enemies. Um, Jesus says several of them, and that's a, that's a tricky one. Again, we've kind of talked about this a little bit the last couple of times I've spoken. Um, enemies is kind of a weird subject in a modern context. You could be sitting there thinking, oh, I don't have any enemies. Yeah, you do. Um, I'm not just talking about, like, you know, uh, enemies, especially when we're thinking in biblical context. We might just think, like, people out in the bushes, they're going to jump and they're going to get you, and they're going to, you know, steal all your stuff. Well, uh, that, but... Also, enemies are just people whose whose plans and purposes you don't want to come to fruition. Like their ideas, their beliefs, their values, their ways that they want uh, your life to go, other people's life to go, whatever, is your are ideo- ideologically opposed. That person's your enemy, right? It doesn't mean you'd run them over with your car if you saw them, you know, hopefully. <laughs> um, let's turn the other cheek that's in there. Uh, the... <laughs> Um, but it does mean that to some degree, that's an enemy, right? You have people that have hurt you multiple times who, whether out of, uh, actual malice or just carelessness, to some degree, that person might be an enemy, an obstacle and an opposition in your life. Again, that doesn't mean, we're not saying they're an evil person. We're not saying they're a bad person. We're not saying in the classic, you know, movie sense, this is a bad guy villain. No, but this is someone that is creating opposition in my life, either directly or indirectly at a distance somewhere. Does that make sense? So we need to see that so that we can see who we're supposed to love and realize the challenge that faces us. Because, again, I, we talked about this a little bit last time I spoke, but we've learned, some, some to some degree, we think that love is just pleasantness or goodness. And so that means I have to be nice to people who are my enemies. That means I have to uh, not get in fights with people who are at my enemies. Does that mean that I have to agree with them or can't oppose them? Well, what does that all mean? I don't know the answers to any of those questions, but... <laughs> because uh, <laughs> I can't do it through my own effort. <laughs> but I do know who does have those answers. I want to talk a little bit about how we get them from him. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. So just a real quick shotgun before we go into my, a little bit of my story. Um I just want to share a couple more scriptures just to add dimension to this love your enemies thing. So we got, um, you can jot these down if you want, but we don't need to turn to them. Uh, you got Proverbs 24:17: do not rejoice when your enemy falls and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. Another one that's impossible. <laughs> Like, oh man, that person who I'm super jealous of just like embarrass themselves in front of everyone. little part of you is going yippee, you know? Uh, little parts like, oh, justice, wow, Lord is really on my side. They are finally exposed for the, uh, the fraud that they are. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> yep. Uh, Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles. First Peter three nine. Uh, Do not reply, repay evil for evil, or or uh, revelling for revelling, uh, or excuse me, reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless for t- to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Oh man, bless those who curse you, bless those who are hurting you. That's a great idea. A little hard when you're in the middle of it. Yeah. Proverbs 25, 21, 22. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink, for you he will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. This is the great like passive aggressive Christianity scripture, you know, where it's like, this is-I think this is where the term bless your heart came from, probably. Uh, uh, <laughs> you know, bless your heart. <laughs> you know, it's it's I don't know if it works if you're intending to throw leaping coals onto their heads, you know. Uh, I don't know if it quite works the same, but you know, we'll we'll move on. But Proverbs 16, 7, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. It's a good, good fruit to look for. So, okay. And then there's at least 10 more really strong scriptures about this concept. And so, all right, we're supposed to love our enemies. And if we're really honest about it, that's hard to do. That's hard to do. So I wanna share uh, a little story of something that happened with me that, again, is not an answer to how you do that, but it is maybe a little bit of a picture of how you can, uh, how we obtain grace from God. Um, So as as I mentioned at the beginning of this service, um, singing the Spirit's been a big part of my life for the majority of my life. And I was at a a church uh, in the Northeast sharing and uh, speaking about seeing in the spirit and the people who uh, ran that church also ran a, a pretty substantial uh, homeless shelter in the city and so a large number of the people who came to the the uh, conference and the services were, were homeless people and um, I really, uh, I haven't done it a whole lot in recent years but I always, I used to do a lot of homeless ministry when I was a teenager and I always really liked uh, just um, meeting those people, hearing their stories, hearing about their life and just actually, you know, getting, getting to know these people and know, know, know them some and there was this one lady and I'm gonna describe her. It may sound like I'm being a little bit rude. I have no intention to be rude because I found this lady to be supremely sweet and lovely but I also just wanna be very just real about how she was and how she acted and what she looked like and everything. So this lady um, was very sweet. She was there an hour early to every single meeting uh, and um, she was probably 60 years old, maybe maybe a little bit older. Um, She had one volume of speaking uh, which was right here all the time. Whenever she would speak, and so if she w- leaned over to talk to someone in the middle of the service or whatever, it was at that volume. And uh, when she said hello to someone who was right in front of her, it was that volume. When it was, she said hello to someone who was across the way, it was that volume. And you know, she uh, she didn't smell very good because she she was living in an apartment, but. And it was—you uh, could tell—it was maybe kind of a messy situation. And with, uh, as I was talking with her, and I was hearing her her uh, sentence structure, I could tell oh, she has uh, some level of mental dis- disability or, or some kind of co- cognitive um, limitation that was going on. But she was so sweet, and from the moment that I met her the first day, I thought I just love this lady. Like she is so sweet. And. <laughs> Like I and I knew I lo- I, lo- I loved her when I met her beforehand the first meeting during the during the, during the first meeting when she leaned over to the lady who had brought her a- as I'm talking and said what's he talking about <laughs> I loved her even more like that's just that's that's awesome um, and so I chatted with her several times you know throughout the throughout the the conference just asking her about her life and and you know again she she clearly had some sort of Cognitive uh, li- limitation, and so it was a little bit scattered and kind of this way. And the strangest thing happened. And the, again, for whatever reason, I just I just felt this love for this woman the, the, the entire time I saw her. And then we um we got to one of the last nights of the of the conference. It was like three three four nights. And um she walked up to me and she, we just started chit chatting. And she was kind of again sporadically talking about what whatever. And then all of a sudden. She says, um, I can't talk so good because my parents used to hit me all the time. And it was strange because she had been very, like, you know, kind of looking this way, that way, just, you know, a little bit uh, not present. But for this, the second she said that, she, like, locked eyes with me. And she said, sometimes it hurts so bad I couldn't sleep at night. And then... (laughs) She said, I still lay in bed and cry about it sometimes. Oh, and my heart is split in two because this lady was so sweet. And you could tell that that sweetness was just part of who she was and had always been. And, you know, you, you, you meet someone in that situation. You can look at her, her outward appearance. You can tell that someone's had a rough life. But then sometimes you have those moments where you get to s- see how someone ended up where they were, you know and my heart is just breaking. I'm trying not to cry because just for the way that she's looking at me, it feels disrespectful, you know, and I'm just trying to, you know, just connect with her and love on her a bit. And then um, we wrapped up the conversation. She she sat back down, and I'm I'm sitting there, and the worship is starting, I'm going to be speaking in a minute, and and I start feeling mad. I'm like, you know, and I uh, these are not thoughts necessarily that I chose to have, but it's just these feelings. I'm like... You know, the typical kind of judgmental thing, like, oh, what kind of parents and how could they treat her that way? And oh my goodness, this lady's so sweet, obviously, you know, and it's so unfair that this this woman would be, be put in this position, just gets gets so angry. And I and it was it was kinda you know, sometimes you're just venting and sometimes it's like stirring up, you know, and you're just getting more mad. And, and this was that. I was just getting more mad and more mad at just the injustice of of this this woman who had her life stolen from her, you know. Um and then I, I had, I I'd, I see in the spirit, you know, again, pretty much uh, on a regular basis, but most of the time I'm just kind of, I can see it as almost like a translucent image that's just included in everything else that we got going on, you know? Um, so every now and again, I have what's called an open vision, which is like, oh, it just kind of like, whatever I'm seeing vision-wise just takes over my vision. And so this was one of those. So I'm sitting there in this chair during worship, trying to be like, trying to, my intention is to like process through this feeling so that I can teach afterwards, but it's just getting stirred up more and more and I'm just getting mad at this girl's parents, you know? And all of a sudden, this open vision happens where I see this hand rushing towards me, grabbing me and yanking me up, Um, you know, which happens sometimes. Um, And um, I look and I see these two people standing in front of me. And I know it's her parents. And that anger doubles. Like I'm twice as angry because they look like those kind of people. They're, they're shabby looking. They're, they're you know, they, they are rough looking. It's easy to pick out and judge them as the person that I had in my head, you know, fully, just because they look like that person, you know. And I'm like, I cannot believe, you know, I'm just yelling at them in my head, you know. And then I, very loud I hear the Lord say, should I punish them? And I'm like, Ugh. I know the answer is no, <laughs> <laughs> but yes is the feeling. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, all right. Where's the pit? You know, uh, <laughs> that's. I know that's not right, but that's the feeling. You know, because I'm angry, I'm hurt by by the the co- what what this caused. But I know the answer is no, so I say no is very well he pushes them forward and i see four people standing behind them and i know it's their parents should i punish them <laughs> i said no he pushes them forward there's more people should i punish them and as i saw each row of people I could see what kind of people they were. I could see their character. I could see what pain they had caused. I could see the way that they had abused, misused, mistreated, whatever else. And this went on and on and on until there was just a, imagine it like a gigantic cone of people, of the layer, layer and layer and layer of sin that has been birthed again and again and again and again, and has been perpetuated down through a family history to lead to this woman having her life taken from her when she was a child. And he showed me the whole array of it, and he said, who should I punish? Adam and Eve, that's who. <laughs> I started this. <laughs> Snip it out of the root. No. <laughs> That's not what I said. <laughs> and I said, I don't know. Because it's easy to get mad at the person who's in front of you, but you don't know how they got there. And even if you know how they got there, you don't know how they got there. You know? Yeah. <sighs> so that happened. I'm going to tell you another story that's even harder than that one. <laughs> so... Uh, three or four years ago I was at a church in uh Texas and um I was in a conference it was a multi-day thing and I had a teaching a lot of sessions and in between two sessions this woman comes up to me and says hey would you pray for my daughter and I said "Uh, uh sure you know and uh I could tell like the way she asked me there was something off kilter about the way she was asking me you know and so I uh I was kind of thrown off by that a little bit, and she said, "You yeah, oh yeah, she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to come in the sanctuary, so you know, I can see if I can maybe get her to come in the lobby." And I'm like, "Sure," and uh, she's like, "Okay, uh, great, I'll meet you there between the next session," and I said, "Okay." I'm like, oh, that was weird, you know. It, you know, it was like nothing was abnormal about the conversation, but you could tell someone was like off the whole time. There's some tension there that I'm not seeing yet. And so, flash forward a couple hours, we're in the lobby. Uh, the woman comes out. She says, "Okay, okay." She'll come into the lobby, but she needs a, a friend to come with her. And it was, uh, it's like she's like kind of her her second grandmother. Um, and I said, "Okay." And she said, "Maybe I should explain." And I said, "That would be great." Um, <laughs> And so this woman says, well, my, my daughter was uh dating this uh guy, and um, you know, he, uh my my husband and I didn't really feel great about him, you know, but anytime we kind of pushed on on that, uh <coughs> um it would really start to disconnect our relationship, you know, and it was it was really, you know, just hurtful. And, and so, and, you know, but it kept escalating where she was like, you know, we didn't really like this guy. She'd, if we didn't allow him, uh, her to see him, then he'd, she'd sneak out at night to go, go on a date with him or or something. And he was giving her all these expensive gifts. And it's like, ah, this just feels weird. And he said, well, uh, 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 three months ago, um, this man uh, kidnapped our daughter and uh, took her into the uh, trafficking world. And it took uh, two months for the police to track her down. And she was three states away. Um, and and she's like, you know, we're just like a little family that lives in this small community. And, she, you know, we have her back. But it's, it's uh, it, everything's still bad, you know. And she started crying, you know. And and she said, she's you know, she's only fifteen. And she said, uh, so will you just see what there is to see and and pray for her? And I said, sure. So she walked out to go get the daughter. Well, as soon as she left, um, I started feeling uh lots of feelings uh all, all at once. You know, I could feel just uh, you know, as a father, just the the pain and sorrow of this of this situation and just just the, the, the trauma, the pain, the, the, the fear of not knowing where your kid is, of, of him going through who, who knows what, and just all that is running through my mind. And I start to feel afraid, um, only because I, I don't know what I could possibly say. Like, what, what, what can I do? What can I give? What can I offer in, in that situation? What, what's going to fix that? You know, um, which, which again is even a weird thing to even think. So what, 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 what do I do? You know? um and uh, another part of it is you know when when people hear that i see in the spirit and you know angels demons all all, all that stuff hey, some people not you guys but some people get a little nervous that maybe i'm going to see something bad on them um you guys wouldn't worry about that but uh i do see those things um but the reality is is that when i see those things more than anything else what they create in me at least is uh compassion and empathy um, and, and the deepest care, and if I'm being honest, when I heard about what kind of pain this girl had gone through, I was scared to feel the empathetical pain that I knew that I would feel if I looked at her in the spirit, um, and so I had all this swirling around in my head at the same time, and then the, it was so much so that as the girl walked into the room, I just uh, kind of shut down seeing the spirit, didn't look in the spirit at all, and man, even just her walking in the room was was hard, like her her, her posture, she wasn't making eye contact with me, her, she like adjusted her, her hand posture like f- three times per, per second, you know, just just kind of moving, everything about her body language, screaming pain, and just just human to human feeling the, the pain that, the, that she was in, feeling the fear, feeling. The the aftermath of what she had she had gone through, and again I'm having this war in my mind where I'm just like okay I, if I can give anything into this moment then it is worth whatever you know if I if I can put add any kind of good into this moment then then it is worth doing, and so I uh, took the coward's way I'm like okay I'll look at the ground start looking in the spirit and like slowly look up that'll be like kind of the dip your toe into the swimming pool kind of uh, approach, and so. I I look um, down at the ground and I start looking up and I get to her shoes. And as soon as I look in the spirit and I'm looking at her shoes, I can see that the the blood from her spiritual wounds is flowing out so heavily that it's filling her uh, gray sneakers. And I feel the first little spike of that empathetical pain and I close my eyes and look at the ground. I'm like, I can't do this. There's, what what could I possibly say? What could I possibly do? What could possibly help or, or be of any benefit? How can I not even just, uh, I, I'm worried I'm even just going to scare her more or confuse her or something, you know? And uh, again, it must have been the Holy Spirit, just this, again, this courage rose up in me that just said, if I can give anything into this moment, it is worth what, what whatever else. And so realizing my first idea was a terrible one, I just... Um, Lifted my eyes, looked at her straight in the face, and started looking in the spirit. <clears throat> and you know, it's it's been th- three or four years, and it's still difficult for me to describe exactly what happened in that moment, because um, again, I've been around people my my whole life. I've been looking in the spirit my whole life. I've seen pain and wounding of different degrees my entire life. But when I looked at this girl, in the spirit, and I looked at her right in the face. She looked perfect. There was no scratch, there was no bruise, there was no wound of any kind on any part of her. Now this was interesting, because I could still feel that pain screaming out in the the empathy center of my heart. And I could tell that that wounding, that hurt, the pain of that was there. And I quickly realized that I was, I was seeing her the way that the father sees her. Now, this is important, and it's, it's the part that's hardest to explain. It's easy to imagine that when I say she looked perfect, there wasn't a scratch on her, that that meant that there wasn't any pain or that God was just ignoring that or covering it up or being bigger than that. But that's not true at all. It was in fact, just the opposite is his goodness was so, uh, large. It was so massive. It was so powerful that he was able to be in fully present in the middle of her deepest pain, yet still remain good. Yet still remain present in the truth of who she is that, that this thing that happened to her did not define her identity or who, he wa- or who she was in his eyes. He could see the whole work complete at the same time while, while still remaining very present in where she was at at that exact moment. I know it's a difficult thing to grasp, but it was, and it's, even though I saw it right in front of my eyes, it was a difficult thing to grasp. But I could see that, I, 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 the best way I can describe it is I could understand why we have the kind of God who would pay the highest price possible with his son's life. To, be, to have the right to be present in the middle of our deepest darkness. And so I tried to say that as best as I could and if i'm being honest it felt like i was throwing a a pebble into the middle of a of a quarry you know it it it, it uh, she never made eye contact with me it was definitely a, an encouragement and a blessing to her her mother which is maybe you know something but i tried to say it but i didn't i didn't i i felt the pain of not being able to to express the, the inexpressible you know and so that that's Stuck with me a lot of different ways. Um, and so I, I'd, I have that situation pop into my head every now and again. I'm just like, man, sh- should I have said something different? It, it was, was there a way that I could have articulated it more clearly? Did I need to lay my hands on Did I need to say the right words? Did I need to quote the right scripture? What, what could undo, un- open up the valve between God's goodness and her the place that she was at in that moment? What, what, what would, what would crack that open? What would, what would have, or at least contributed to it or, or done it better or whatever else, you know? And I've, again, I've never gotten an answer. I it just run through my head, run through my head, run through my head. Well, uh, a month or so ago I was uh, mowing my lawn um, and I was, uh, I was mowing my lawn. I was thinking about things because manual labor, great time to think about things. Um, and I, uh again that 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 situation that moment with that girl popped up in my mind again as it as it had several times since and I thought about that girl, and i you know any anyway, anytime she popped in my mind, I, of course prayed for her, pray for her, pray for where she's at, pray for the right people kind of continue to surround her and um but then I thought of, gosh, I felt so inadequate in, in that moment, despite the fact that the fullness of God was available in that moment. I felt so inadequate that that level of goodness, that little level of glory, that level of acceptance, that level of love was there in the room, and I didn't know what to do to, to push those into the same space, you know? So as I was kind of letting myself feel the frustration of that of that feeling, um, I had another open vision, and I saw that exact same funnel of people just of every i don 't know if it was every or it's just this is just a picture or an image or or what, but I saw this this funnel of people of the 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 catastrophic uh falling down, uh, a cascading effect of sin upon sin upon sin from generation to generation to generation. Um, And I saw that same hand reach out and pluck someone from in the middle of somewhere here and pull them right in front of me. And it was this uh, 20-something guy. And the second I saw him, I knew this is the guy. (laughs) this is the boyfriend and every bit of uh fatherly anger wrath rage uh you know just came boiling up in me towards this person just because man this this you know uh, uh, again i don't need to say the feelings but we know them like oh this this uh, what a despicable person you know what a horrible what th- what a, what, a what, what you know there's no words for how awful that is And then something that is just about the most offensive thing I've ever experienced in my entire life happened. That exact, impossible, overwhelming, beautiful, perfect love that I felt towards that girl pointed itself to this man. And I didn't say, come on. I got mad. I, if I'm being honest, I got I got mad. I'm like, that is not okay. <laughs> that that isn't this what hell is for? Honestly, is like what my thought was. Uh, I, you know, this may be being a little too vulnerable, but I, that's just that was my feeling in that moment. Like this, I can't th- I cannot think of a more despicable thing to do. You know, uh, and uh, and I'm like, I know you're supposed to love everybody. We just talked about that. Love your enemies. Yep, that's an enemy. I'll tell. I will. Yep, that's an enemy. I'll take that. Uh, I'm supposed to love this. I'm supposed to love this person. It's hard enough to believe that God can show His love towards this person. I'm supposed to love this person. I'm having. It would be hard not to hate this person. Honestly, like I'm struggling at that part. It, 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 and it was this, this offense—not uh, true offense, but just the, the frustration, the friction, the 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 incompatibility of, of of that just rolling in my head, and as I'm churning with that, and just kind of sitting in that for a second, the Lord, in the most kind, gentle, fatherly voice, speaks uh, through my turmoil and says, "Ah, oh, that is a hard one." But the thing is, is that's the only kind of love that could give that girl what she needed in that moment. The kind of love that can love someone that despicable is the same kind of love that can bring healing to someone's deepest, darkest moment in pain. And if you only want the one and don't want the other, You have rendered that piece of God's love unavailable in your life. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So that's not a story with a great resolution because honestly if I'm looking at my own heart, I'm still at the place of trying not to hate this person who I don't even really know. But it it points to a reality, this is what I wanna land on today. If I think I'm supposed to turn my character, use the strength of my will to love that person, I will fail 100% of the time. Grace is not a magic pixie dust that Jesus sprinkles upon your heart and you then think happy thoughts and fly. Grace is seeing your father do what he does. Because that's the only way you're able to imitate it. And that was one time of seeing what it looks like for God to love a despicable person. Or a person that I consider to be despicable. Does that does that make sense? And I need to see it again and again and again before I'm going to receive the grace to be like him. Because as the scripture says, when we as we see him, we become like him. Learning to live by the Beatitudes, learning to live the, the, a life of following Jesus can only be done by following Jesus, by seeing him do what he does and imitating what he does. You cannot do it through will. You cannot do it through knowledge. You can only do it by seeing him and imitating him. And the only way that we can see him is really for him to reveal himself to us in moments like that, in moments in worship, in moments that we're exploring the scripture in the moments where we're sharing love one to, one to another. That's the only place that we can see and experience that, that love. And I know this is kind of a heavy, heavy message, but it's, it's important, I think, for us to recognize that if we limit parts of the gospel that challenge us this way, that those have echoes in other areas where we want to see breakthrough. Does that make sense? It was not a performance thing. If I had better love in my heart, I would have been able to help that girl that day. That's a performance way of looking at this situation. It's realizing, like, I, there is something that I could not, there's a level of love that I c- could not possibly obtain on my own that was necessary to be able to release what that girl needed in that moment. Part of it was seeing her in that moment of pain and feeling what God's love felt like towards her in that moment. Another part of it was seeing that God still loves this person who caused this pain. And there's probably more and more and more and more. And this is why when it comes to what is love? How do we love our enemies? How do we, how do we actually go about the business of acting out, of, of playing out, of practicing love towards our enemies, towards our brothers and sisters, towards our, towards our friends? That we, pre- that we prepare our heart with mountains of humility because if not, our idea will be in the way of God's grace. Does that make sense? Uh, stand up real quick if you would. I'm gonna pray for you guys. You guys doing all right? I know it's a really heavy, heavy message. It is dead quiet in here. <laughs> um, the biggest takeaway I'd probably say, if uh, for the parts of that, that that feel heavy, is that it is one very small piece of evidence of which there are millions that our ideas, our will, our capacity. Are not nearly enough uh, to fix the pain, the challenges, the, the problems that, that exist in, in our world, in our in ourselves and in people around us. However, his grace is more than sufficient. It is more than sufficient. And if and if there's one reality I wanna shake into you today, is That grace has always been present every single moment, every single pain, every single choice, every single tragedy, every single challenge, every single one. It has been just as present as it was for that girl in that moment of pain in her life. And it does not mean that those would just get avoided or those would be skipped or any of those kinds of things. What it means is his grace, his goodness is present in that moment right then to begin releasing itself into our lives and into our world right then. And if we want to be people who carry that grace wherever we go, we need to commit ourselves to seeing him as much as we can because we cannot learn just learn about him. We have to see him for who he is to be able to imitate him. So if you would just put your hands out in front of you. Lord, we just thank you that your presence is here today and we thank you that, again, even though we can look at these, these moments or look at moments in our own lives and maybe even feel powerless or feel that same powerless that I, I still feel to some degrees, we recognize and we acknowledge and we admit that it is not by our power that we are to bring resolution to these things. We are utterly, completely, and totally dependent upon you. And so we just align our hearts right now with the reality that we are dependent upon you And we just invite your voice to correct us any area where we have put our we've lifted our ideas over your grace, where we have lifted our our opinions, our our uh, uh, understanding of your love uh, above the the expression of your love through grace that's in our life, Lord. And so we just invite the transforming work of the Holy Spirit, to work into our hearts, to reveal himself to us, to reveal his, his heart and his love to us. And I just right now, in any area where someone has experienced a, a similar level of tragedy, of pain, of sorrow, I just declare that today would be a marking day of seeing the testimony of the goodness and love of God manifested in that part of their lives. That if we have friends or family members who, whether it's a, we would in our mind consider it to be a, a way smaller piece of pain or or not, is irrelevant because your love is just as present for every single one. And so we just release that love into those places. We release that grace in those places, and we posture ourselves looking at you to see how we are to respond to those areas of life, Lord. We just ask for eyes to see and ears to hear, in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.